morning for those of you who were here Sunday morning. We kind of covered part of Luke chapter 19, so you can make your way over to Luke chapter 19. And I kind of want to take us from Monday or Sunday when when we were um, with Jesus as he triumphantly came into Jerusalem and take us from like that point to Thursday night in his life, you know, 2000 years ago. And just kind of what happened in that week, you know, that week that we look at and we call the Passion Week. Um, the word passion, again, it, it, it means the suffering week. I mean, he, he, he was going to go through some stuff, but the suffering really didn't come until Friday, where it was just going to hit. And, and I kind of want to, I don't even know where I'm going to leave off tonight, except that we're not going to get to Friday, but we might get to Thursday night with Jesus. And so, again, there's just a lot, because I, I, I want to go all the way to chapter 22, and so... Um, Bear with me, because I want to read a lot, and uh, I, I am so nervous in one sense, because, you know, I get nervous when I read a lot, and so just bear with me in this, <laughs> and so we're in Luke chapter 19, and we're in verse 45, and we're going to have communion at the end, and so um, that's kind of, you know, we're going to talk about communion in the scriptures here, but we're going to finish with communion tonight as, as a church. And so, verse 45 of chapter 19 of Luke. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer but you have made it into a den den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priest and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. So where we left off on Sunday morning was that Jesus had made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And before he gets in there, he, he kind of pulls aside a little bit. And, and we see what, what Luke shares that none of the other Gospels share, that he began to pray over Israel and he began to, to talk about and prophesy what would be coming about with uh, Jerusalem, I mean, I mean um, and, and what was going to happen to Jerusalem. His heart was broken for them. And so Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem and into the temple on Sunday. The Gospel of Mark tells us in this portion right here that it was now very late. And he, Jesus, went out to Bethany, back out two miles with the twelve disciples. And so Mark tells us that when this portion in verse 45 starts for us tonight, that it was actually the next day, so Monday Monday morning, Monday mid-morning, somewhere around there. It was probably early in the morning because they did stuff early then. But Mark tells us that it was the next day that Jesus comes back from Bethany into Jerusalem. And so each night he was going back to Bethany and staying probably at his friend's house, Lazarus. 
and, and, and hanging out there with his disciples. And then they would come back and go hang out at the Mount of Olives, come back and do all those kinds of things. Now, this wasn't the first time that that Jesus had done something like this. It says that he came in and he began to drive out all those who bought and sold in it, in the temple. The money changers, if you will. John chapter 2 tells us that Jesus had drove out the money changers. And it seems like it was in the beginning of his ministry. And there it tells us that he saw what was happening and he kind of turned around and went and made a, 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 a whip of cords. And so here, here you have this, this mild-mannered Jesus that we all look at, you know. We all think that he is just this, this passive kind of man. And yet when he sees what's going on in his father's house, here he doesn't say, or here he says, in my house... But he, he, he says in the other portion, in my father's house. This is my father's house. And so back in John, he goes and makes his whip and he begins to drive them out, throwing tables and driving them out. And I'm thinking, does he actually like hit them? I, I don't know. It's like, why would he make a whip of cords and not like use it? Did he just like, hey, see what I got here? I'm going to drive you guys out. Get out. Or did he actually just, because he starts turning tables and, and these guys scram. And so I, to me, I just kind of think like, wow, man, Jesus, Jesus doesn't mess around. He, he was serious here. And, and, and the temple is different than a synagogue. There are many, many synagogues. Any, any place where there was more than 12, 12 Jewish men, they, they could build the synagogue. But the temple was, was one temple. And it was God's dwelling place. It was the house of God. And it was his father's house. And when he says, this is my father's house, if you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves, he is speaking the truth there. And he had every right to, to, to do what he, had, what he did. Now the reason why people are buying and selling um, here was that because people were bringing in sacrifices from all over. People are coming from all over the place. They're bringing in their sacrifices. And sometimes people would get there and their sacrifice wasn't good enough. And so these priests who were examining the sacrifices were saying, well, that's not good enough, but we can sell you this one. And so oftentimes the people, maybe they were fed up. It's like, you know what? They're always going to say, my sacrifice isn't good enough. So let's just not, let's just go buy one when we get there. So people were buying and selling. It had become a business. And I think oftentimes um, they were just kind of exchanging animals. Somebody brought one in, oh, it's not good enough, and they take it in the back, here, we'll sell you this one. And then pretty soon it's like, hey, get that one that that guy brought, hey, we'll sell you this one. Because, again, it was just becoming a, 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 a scheme. And what, a racket, thank you, and what had started off maybe innocent enough to help people that were coming from afar uh, had turned into a business and a crooked one at that. And it seemed like people were walking through the temple selling their wares, you know, not just outside, but it maybe inside, kind of like you would see at a baseball game or something, you know, trying to sell all their, their commodities, all the stuff that they're trying to sell going in and out. And then Jesus is just like, going, oh, I'm not going to have any of this. I remember when we were down in, in South uh, America in Cuenca, when you go into the cathedral, you see all these people out there selling their wares. 
And I thought, you know, I remember seeing that, like the first time I went down there, it was like, man, that's probably what it looked like. People selling stuff, incense and, and candles and all those kinds of things. But again, we see this mild-mannered Jesus becoming indignant. And indignant means that there's this righteous anger. And the reason why is because they're ripping off the people, especially the poor people. In other portions, it says that, that they were selling doves and the poor were the ones that were buying the doves because they couldn't afford something bigger than that. And so they were getting ripped off. And Proverbs 22 Verses 22 and 23 says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their case or their cause and plunder the souls of those who plunder them. And then he quotes here, the quotes that, that he says here, uh, it is written, uh, my father's house or my house is a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of themes. He is quoting Isaiah 50. 6, 7, and Jeremiah 7, 11 in that. And so verse 20, or chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it happened on, on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? And he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question or one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love it. I love it, man, because, you know, I, I could be sarcastic at times, a lot of times. And I don't, I don't know if Jesus is being sarcastic here, but he's not letting them play with them. You see, Jesus doesn't let people manipulate him. He doesn't allow that to happen to him. And so I, I, I see that whenever people asked him honest questions, he was so willing to give them honest answers. But he knew what these people were trying to do. And he wasn't going to get caught up in their game. And so he kind of just turns it around. And, and, and the word these things, you know, who gives you authority to do these things? They're, they're referring to who gives you the right to, to, to come in to this temple and drive people out. And turn over tables and do all that thing. Who, who gives you the right? But he knew their motive behind the question. And now these guys, and actually these guys do have um, the right to seriously come and, and question his authority. They were the ones that kind of oversaw the temple. But these are the same guys from verse 47 where it says that they really wanted to destroy him and kill him. So he already knew their motives. He already knew what was behind all of this stuff. Now if these guys would have answered Jesus correctly, honestly, they themselves would have had their own answer. By what authority? (laughs) 
Do you do these things? Who gave you these authorities? You know, again, if, if they would have said, you know, he answered their question honestly and stuff. But here they're asking him another question and he's, or, you know, he's asking them by, by what, you know, is it by, by heaven or by earth that, that John did these things? And again, they were afraid to answer. And so Jesus here was wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove to them. But he didn't let them play this game. And then verse 9 <clears throat> says, Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to a vine dresser, and went into a far country for a long time. Now the, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the, of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner do? What will the, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy their, this, these, those vineyard, vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind to powder. And the chief priest and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. But they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. This parable that he kind of explains here, it's kind of explained in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. You can read it later on. And, and, but the man in the parable here is God, and the the vineyard is Israel. The vine dressers are the religious leaders. The servants are the Old Testament saints and John the Baptist, and the beloved Son is Jesus Himself. Because of verse nineteen, I think it's verse nineteen. Yeah, it tells us who who they are. It's the scribes and the and the Pharisees, the people that he was talking to. It's it's the scribes and the and and the and the the chief priests because they were the ones that were coming against him. They were coming to question his authority, and because of who they are, they had known that this parable should have come, or they knew that it came from Isaiah chapter five. Mark tells us that. The, the, the man in this parable, God, had done everything possible for Israel. He had prepared the land for them so that they would uh, be able to plant a vineyard and, and grow. He didn't leave it up to others 
to do His part. He did His part. God did that. And so the Lord took an active role in the nation of Israel where, where He began to, to, to make them a nation. And He put a hedge about them. And it says in, in Mark, a safeguard and pr- to protect them and, and laws, if you will, to, to, to bring justice upon them. And He put vats and, and that meant the, just, the judgment uh, that would come upon them. And He placed the people within Israel. And so they would bring judgment upon those who would break the law. And, the, and he set up prophets, priests, and kings, and he built the tower in it, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple of God here in Israel, in Jerusalem, where the nation of Israel could come and be forgiven. And it says in Isaiah 5, 4, in that story, it says, what more could, could have been done for my vineyard, God says, that I have not done to it? And so he did everything. God had prepared everything. And he left it to the religious leaders to teach the people, to tend the people, to guard the people, to do all these things. And yet it was the religious leaders that were coming against the one that God had sent. They had come against all the other people. And so here even Jesus tells them, that this is what you're going to do to me. You guys are going to kill me in a few days. And the religious leaders had become so prideful and so arrogant and so hateful towards Jesus that they wanted the vineyard all for themselves. Oh, they had a form of godliness, but they were denying any kind of the power of God to go with it. And so Jesus speaks this parable against them and they knew it and they wanted to come after him. See, this week for for Jesus is not a great week, man. He is being tested He's being tried through and through. They're coming against him. They're continuing to to come against him. And from verse 20 to verse 38, I'm going to read this portion. It says, So they watched him and sent spies to pretend, who pretended to be religious, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. When they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that we know that you say and teach rightly, and that you do not show partiality or personal uh, favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Why do you test me? Show me the denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of all the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Verse 27, Then some of the Sadducees, who denied that there was a resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, he dies without children, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the one took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as wife 
and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman also died. I guess she kind of tasted the food that she was giving these guys. And anyways, verse 33, because you're going, man, after about three, it's like, no, man, nobody, nobody should marry this woman, but be that as it may. That's the story. Um, verse 33, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The son of this age marry the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain what uh, that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the, in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Um, for all live in him. Now in this portion, in the other scriptures, and the other gospels, we see that, that there was... Um, there was three groups that actually came against him, and, and uh, Luke just mentions two of the groups. But, but most of this chapter here that we read here has to do with the testing and inspection, if you will, of the, of the Passover lamb, Jesus being the Passover lamb here, the lamb of God. And he is being put to the test to see if there is any flaws or any blemishes in him. At all, because if there were, if there were, then he would not be able to take away the sins of the world. And so these three different groups, they come after him and all of them are religious leaders. They come and and test him. Even if they knew that a Passover lamb had to be inspected, I don't think they had a clue what they were actually doing to Jesus that they were actually testing the Lamb of God because He was going to die for the sins of the world, just like the Passover Lamb that would die for the sins of the people. I don't think they had any clue what they were doing, but they were actually inspecting Him as they're asking Him this question. The, the Pharisees who, who, who weren't mentioned here, they were asking Him about the commandments, which is the greatest commandment of all. And again, they wanted to trap Him. And Jesus just turns around and says, you know, Love, your, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two, all the laws hang. And again, man, every single question that they asked him, he came up clean. There was nothing that they could put, put on him. Anything that, that they, they came at him. All, all, these guys, all these guys had their, their different pet peeves that they were giving to him. The, 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 the first group, you know, they, they were into the, the money. They took care of a lot of the finances in Israel. And so they were wanting to know, hey, so do we pay taxes or not? And, and again, they're thinking, he has to say something and we will bust him in what he says. And the Sadducees, they came at at the at at Jesus because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. They were sad. And so yeah, sad you see. 
And, and the Pharisees and the scribes, oh, they, they were all into the law. And so they all had their pet peeve that they came after Jesus. And each group was trying to trap them. Each troop was try, trying to catch him in his own words. And, and in my opinion, I, I, I see that Jesus here shows a lot of restraint. Here, him being the Lamb of God, him being God Almighty. Again, he, he revealed himself that he was Messiah. And he is proving it throughout this time. And again, having all that power and having these jerks, these clowns, come after him, the way they're coming after him, I'm thinking, I would have smoked them. I would have just smoked, you know, I I just proved myself to be Messiah, right? Let me show you what Messiah can do with people that come against me. You see, but he shows restraint. He, He does not do what I would do in the flesh. Jesus knows that he has to be tested. This This is his time. He understands what has to happen in his life. And so he shows a lot more restraint than most of us would ever show against people that are coming against us, trying to trap us. He knew all along what was happening. And yet, in each time, he turns the tables on them. It's not that he was afraid to answer the questions. He's just saying, you guys are jerks, so to speak. You, you, you guys are just trying to trap me in what we're doing. But I understand you have to test me. And I will come up clean because every one of these things I will turn against you and, and there's no answer for it. And so Jesus comes through the test clean. They find no fault in him whatsoever. Perfect. He will be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I think all of them, they, the, the Pharisees and the people that were listening, I'm sure all the people that are listening is like, you get them, Jesus, turn it against them. But I guess the religious leaders, I think they were just so amazed going, how did he do that? You know, they looked like idiots. They were amazed. But now it's time for Jesus to turn the questioning on to them. They were concerned about what they thought was important. And they were asking him these questions, which really had nothing to do with who Jesus is, if he truly is the Messiah. And these guys were kind of like majoring in the minor issues. And yet Jesus is going to make the main thing the main thing himself. And he's going to, about to get him even more upset. In verse 39 to verse 47, it says, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. You made us look like idiots. Not really. Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. And he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How then? How how is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, his uh, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greeting in the greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the best places to feast at feasts who devour widows houses 
and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now it was Jesus' turn. While the scribes and the Pharisees are still there, he takes his turn. And notice that Jesus, even after the questioning, after the testing, after all of these things, Jesus doesn't, you know, turn around and, and leave. He doesn't, he's not like sweating bullets there, you know, and kind of going, man, I can't wait till this testing is over. I mean, as soon as he's done, man, he turns around and starts hitting them up. He starts turning the things on him, uh, on them. And Jesus finds, again, he's in the temple and he's in the porch area of the court outside the temple. And what caught his eye, or, or what caught my eye, <laughs> was the fact that Jesus was so open. He wasn't running away from the good. He doesn't cower. He's not afraid. He doesn't run and hide. He's out in the open. He hides nothing. He is clean as the Passover lamb. Nothing to hide. And so he hits them up with a really hard question. And he focuses on the important thing. Who is the Messiah? He's asking them. Again, he, he just came in as the Messiah. But now he's asking them, who, who is the Messiah? And this is what the religious leaders should have been focusing on because of the time. But instead, they, they, Jesus brought that up. And it was a common, common knowledge among the scribes and the religious leaders and of all of Israel, for that matter, that Messiah was to be coming or would come through the line of David. It was promised by God to David that there would always be a king on the throne or there would be a king that would, that would come through the lineage of, Dave, uh, of David. And so Messiah would be the son of David, but he would also be the son of God. In other words, he would be man and God at the same time. And this is something that they, the, the scribes, didn't want to acknowledge not because it was because it was Jesus. He, they didn't want to acknowledge that. And so Jesus brings up a quote from Psalm 110, chapter 1, or verse 1. And he asked them for an explanation of that verse. What he, what he says, what does this mean? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies a footstool. How could David's son also be David's Lord? He's asking them. What David said in Psalm 110 essentially is the Lord, Jehovah, the I am that I am, said to my Lord, Adonai, or Master. And so he, he, he's calling him Jehovah and he's calling him Adonai, or Master. And so how could they be both Lords? And so even David, it seemed like he understood that the Messiah was deity or that he would be Lord or else he would have said, the, the Lord said to my son, but he said no to my Lord. And so the question that he drops in their lap is, how then is he his son? Like I said, David understood. God had revealed to him that through his lineage, the Messiah would be coming. And he would be both man and God at the same time. Chapter 21. And he looked up, Jesus, and he looked up 
And he saw the rich putting their gifts in the treasury. And he also, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all though these out of their abundance have put in offerings to, for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Now it's interesting because you're kind of, I don't know if you're thinking this, but I kind of thought this. It seems like he's changing the subject, but he really isn't. He just got finished talking to them about the widows and how these guys take advantage of widows and people and the proudness that they have. And it's quite possible that maybe this widow that Jesus is looking at as she's coming in could be one of those widows that had been taken advantage of these guys, uh, taken advantage by these guys. And so the topic is the same. He's talking about the pride of the Pharisees. But notice where Jesus is at in the temple where he's, and, and what he's doing. He knows that in the temple there would be people coming in and he sits himself in a place where he could watch what people are doing. And he watches as people are coming in and they had, they had these, these places that, that, would, that would be around the temple and people would come in and put their money and he watches as, as what's going on and he's taking notice of how, not so much how much they're giving, but how they're giving. And he says that this lady has given everything. He says everybody else, I mean, they all talk about their 10%. And, they, and the Pharisees had made an art of giving 10%. I mean, to, I mean, they waited out exactly. They were so legalistic in how they were giving. And so here in this sense, we, we, we get this woman who basically gives a half a penny. And these guys are giving out of their abundance. And Jesus takes notice of that. He says, you know, everybody else is giving out of their abundance of what they have. He says, but see that lady right there? For some reason, he knew, he knew that she had given all her livelihood. You see, she didn't give 10%. (laughs) She gave 100%. She gave it all. And that's what he was, he was saying, these guys would never give their all. But this woman, she has. And she's been taking advantage probably from these guys. She didn't hold anything back. The rest of chapter 21 here, and I'll read through it in a little bit. But the rest of chapter 21 deals with prophecy. Something that would have taken place in the future when Jesus is speaking. And some of what we are going to read has already happened. And some is still to come. This is known as the, the Olivet Discord. I'm going to read through it. Um, I'm not going to make a lot of commentary on it, but I'm going to share a little bit. Um, so it says in verse 5, we'll go from, well, let me see from there. Yeah, to the end, let's do it. <clears throat> then, as some spoke 
of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the day will come, which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what signs will there be when these things are about to take place? In verse 8 he says, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time will draw near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be a great earthquake in very, or be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs in heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your heart not to meditate before on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom with all which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents, by brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. By your patience possess your souls. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that, the, that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance and all things which are written will may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in, their de- in those days. For it will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on earth distress, for nations will, with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. Men's hearts will fail them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. 
Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the all the trees when they are already budding. You see and know how for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 34, but take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of of this life and the days come upon come on you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that come upon that come to pass and to to stand before the son of man And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went and stayed in the mount called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him, to the temple to hear him. Again, all these things are, are talking about future events as he was speaking. And some of them had already begun to happen. And when the disciples had turned to him and from the other gospels, we know that they were saying, man, look at how, how this thing looks. Isn't that amazing? And he says, you know, not one stone will be left upon another. And again, he had shared that uh, as we shared on Sunday, that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And yet the, the guys, they ask him two questions. And, and the question is, is uh, when is these things going to happen and what will be the sign? And so he, he, he answers them that when these things happen to Jerusalem, but the signs are different, that the, the, within their lifetime, within that generation, Jerusalem would be overtaken by, by Rome in 70 AD. But the signs of the times, he says, man, that's not until later on. And he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He, he, he's talking about prophecy that would be taking place in Daniel chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 30, and Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And they are called the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, and the great tribulation. And so he's touching all these things. And these rabbis and these, these people, they should have known all these, these things that were happening that were coming down because they were all scriptural. And, and, and it was going to come upon the nation of Israel. And as a church, we're not really, we're not related to this, any of this, but we need to understand this so that we can share with people so that they can be saved so they don't have to experience the great tribulation and those kinds of things. Chapter 22, really quick. I want to read through this portion and then just have some time of, of communion. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and, and agreed to give him money 
So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover uh, must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where, where do you want us to prepare? And he said, behold, when you enter the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large room furnished, furnished upper room there make ready. So when they, so they went and found it just as he had said, and they prepared the Passover. Then the hour, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said with, to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will, by no, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given to, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves. Which of them it was who would do this thing? Here we have this whole week that's kind of passed already. And again, when you read the other Gospels, they give you different little accounts that, that Luke may have not touched on, but they all kind of flow together. And you see that in this time from Sunday until Thursday night, Jesus has been tested. He hasn't really suffered but he tells them, hey, let's, let's, let's take this time together before I suffer, which is Good Friday tomorrow. But it's going to start like on Thursday night for him. Because from here, they're going to be leaving. They're going to go to one of the, his, his favorite places where he would go, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to begin to suffer in agony and in pain. He's, he's going to begin to, to kind of go through it within himself because he understands the severity of what's going to be happening to him you know and and all of a sudden man this 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 desire as he's praying and he says lord god father if if it is possible take this cup away from me nevertheless your will not my will be done and man can you imagine what he is feeling the weight throughout that whole week he has been being tested and guys he did it for me and you he, he was tested and tried and people were coming against him and he stood up to them. He didn't bow down. He didn't back down. He didn't run. He stood there firm. And he did it because he knew what that would accomplish. He had come for this very purpose. 
Here he, he, he reveals to, to the people, here, here I am, the Messiah. But he understood that Scripture was already prophesied that the Messiah would come and he would die. He would suffer for, for the sins of the people. And so he wasn't about to back down. He wasn't about to, 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 to push away. And we see that in chapter 22, man, one of his closest friends, Judas, probably his confidence, one of his confidence, you know, betrays him. You know, everybody always thinks of Judas as being this, like, evil, beady-eyed, kind of shady kind of character. And I can tell you this right now, he probably wasn't. He looked like a banker, man. That's why they gave him the money. He looked like he was upstanding and upright. Nobody, nobody had a clue who it would be. Jesus knew. And even after he says, hey, my betrayer is with us tonight, he's sitting at the table. All the other guys are going, who is it? Nobody thought it would be Judas. I could bet you most of them thought it was Peter. They probably thought, it's probably Pete. Peter's probably going, it's probably me. It's probably me. I always mess up. It's probably going to be me. But even though Jesus knows what's about to happen, he tells a man, I have desired to have this time with you. What a special time. What a special time. He knows he's going to be dying, and yet he prepares them. He says, guys, look at this bread that I have here is going to represent my body because it's going to be broken for you. It's going to be torn apart for you, you know? And he says, in this blood that's in this chalice here that, that we're all going to drink, this represents my blood, and it's a new covenant, guys. He's saying, the old covenant, done with. I'm going to die for you guys. And guys, again, man, when, when, when we come to this time of the year, I, I love Christmas, don't get me wrong, but I thrive on this time of the year. And even throughout this week, you know, because I, I study a lot of this portion, you know, because I'm going to be doing studies, man, my heart is broken throughout the week. I, I, I almost get on a, like a bummer. You know, I understand Sunday's coming, man. I'm so looking forward to Sunday morning. I really am. But, 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 but leading into Good Friday, it's like, man, what a drag. What a drag what Jesus went through. I mean, I just read to you all the stuff that Jesus kind of went through. And you might think it's like, well, it's no big deal. He knew what he was going to... He, dude, he still had to go through it. He still had to suffer in this sense. And it was all for me and you. It wasn't because it's like, hey, man, let me just get through this. I'll get through this. I'm, I'm going to raise again. I know that. No, he still was man. Even though he was fully God, he was still man. And he was going to feel every pain that came against them. Every blow, every sock in the face, he was going to feel that. Every pull of the beard, he was going to feel all that. And yet, he sits with his disciples, man, and he says, man, I have desired to be with you so bad. And he just kind of has this intimate time with them. With, with them. And, and, and listen what, what, what kind of happens right afterwards and as, as, as they start questioning, like, who, who could it be? Verse 24 of chapter 22, he says, Now, there was also a, a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles ex exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them 
are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as your as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For he who is greater is he who, for who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. He humbles himself. Guys, if you have time tonight, tomorrow morning, go to John chapter 13 and read John chapter 13 because I believe that's when he gets on his knees and he and he washes the disciples' feet. And when you read John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all that takes place tonight <laughs> as he's talking to them. And he shares so much with them. There's so much to glean from those chapters for us. Man, he just spent so much time with them, pouring into them. And guys, Jesus wants to pour into you tonight. He really does. He wants it to be intimate, just you and him. You know, it's almost like Jesus is pouring out everything to them and they're concerned about who's going to be the best, the baddest, the greatest. And it's almost like, guys, we can be so consumed with what's going on in our lives. And that's understandable. You've got to leave these doors and, and face life again. I understand that. But man, Jesus just says, hey, man, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I've taken care of that for you. I've really covered you, man. I'm not going to leave you, not one bit. Just spend some time with me. And tonight, guys, you're going to come up here and you can come and get, we're going to play some songs. And, and, and I just want you and Jesus, you know, if you want to spend time with people, right on. But just you and Jesus, just come and get the cup and get the bread and just pray. Spend some time with them. You know, we've got these little cups. We've had them for a long time. We thought, ah, let's use them up. <clears throat> They're little cups and you can keep them. Um, but start from the middle out because if you take the one on the side, they might fall. But but just go from the middle middle out and keep them. And if we have extra, if you want some extra ones, come and grab some. But uh, but just let it be intimate uh, with with your Jesus tonight, Amen. So let's pray, Father in heaven. We do come before you and we thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord, as we were able to read through. Throughout the Luke right here, Lord, from from Sunday to to Thursday night. And here we have the disciples sitting together with Jesus. And they're concerned about who's going to be the greatest. And yet Jesus humbles himself. And I just pray right now, Lord God, that we would humble ourselves. That we would come to a reality check, Lord, in our lives. To understand, Lord God, all that you have gone through for us. Lord, as we read what happened throughout the week and the testing, the questioning, how they wanted to kill you throughout the whole week and yet they couldn't, Lord. And yet, Lord, you stood firm. You went through all of it for us, Lord. And you sat with your disciples. You wanted to just bless them and encourage them that there would be a hope. Lord, I know that as we read this portion, Lord, it's just a sad, sad moment when we realize what happens at the garden. And this man that, that was part of your crew, Lord, part of your disciples, backstabs you. 
and then they hand you over, Lord. And so tonight, Lord, just let us stay at your feet right now and enjoy this moment with you, Lord. And Lord, tomorrow, that we would be mindful, Lord, of what Good Friday means, that we would not just skip it in any way, Lord God, but just be mindful, Lord. We're not having a service, Lord, but just help us and remind us what you went through for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We are looking forward to Sunday. But tonight, Lord, it's almost like we want to grieve because of what you did for us and be thankful. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.